0: It's good to see you guys. If this is your first time at Fathom, let me welcome you and just—I'm uh, praying that you just have an amazing experience today, that um, you just really get a chance to uh, connect with with uh, new people around you in this community, as well as connect with uh, your Creator. I just want to stop for a second, and I see a, b- a bunch of faces that uh, used to be a part of Fathom, and they still are, but they've moved away. I see a few of them in the house. I see Fabiola over here. I say, "Hey, Fabiola." She lives up in Seattle right now, and I I see Christina right here, who lives down in Daytona Beach. What's up, Christina? And I see Marcy right here that's moved back home. She's getting married here uh, very soon, very soon. She's very excited about that. So it's good to have all of you ladies. It's good to to see um, old faces come back around. Not that your faces look old, but haven't seen you in a while. So uh, it's good to have you here. Again, if this is your first time, we just hope that you just grow uh, in faith and in family. Uh, If you've been with us for the past couple of months, we've been in this series, uh, a series of series, which is kind of goofy every time I say it, uh, called Go Make Disciples, and it's really just about embodying our mission at a deeper and greater level, because our mission here is Matthew 28, 19, uh, and 20, uh, that just says, go make disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, and and that's just Jesus' kind of final commission to say, hey, your mission with me is that we would grow and walk um, and, and become more into the pattern of Jesus, because you were created in his image, but slowly, but surely, and in a moment, everything was kind of destroyed uh, spiritually for us, but Jesus has made a way uh, for us to be made right, and so today we're going to take a a journey um, into Mark chapter 5 here in just a a few moments, but how many of you guys would say, like, you have ADD? You have, like, you want to just confess you have ADD? Go ahead and raise your hands up. See, you're just already on something else. you yeah, uh, this is like one of those things that now, like everybody says they have ADD. I'm, I, I don't want to ask you if you're actually diagnosed, because you may not want to. Uh, <laughs> one person's like, yes, I'm actually diagnosed. He's like, I'm not, uh, I'm not just faking it. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of us kind of fall into this thing, and we say we have like attention deficit disorder. But I think really for the great majority of us, myself included, it's just attention um, discipline deficit is really what it stands for, is that we really just don't know how to discipline ourselves to do one thing, we're, we're kind of scattered in all over, uh, anybody can kind of identify with that, maybe it's not so much the, the attention thing, it's not really a, a real disorder, but it's just a, a lack of, of discipline, and I think this is something that I've seen in my own life, especially when it gets in crowds, like anybody get overwhelmed in crowds? Okay, again, I confess last week, though you'd think I'm an, uh, an extrovert, I'm really an introvert, and when I get in, like, big crowds, like, my brain can just kind of, like, go all over the place. And I even confess to a couple of people today, like, my head just, like, kind of gets spinning. Um, uh, so w- when I get here, I, it's so important for me personally that God's taught me to just stop in the middle of a crowd and just connect with one person. And, and that's really this whole make series that we've been looking at, God's shaping us. I think what he wants to really finalize in us today and, and really set us forth in more than finalize is how to really make a difference. Um, one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that we would come here and we would do this thing we call church, but we would we would never embody what it means to be the church. We would never impact our community in significant ways. It's one of my greatest fears. That all of this, it, you know, th- though we've made a difference in, in personal lives, if, if we're not impacting the community, I really feel like we're, we're not really embracing the mission that God gave gave us to go make disciples, and so I'm hoping that it happens in this environment, but ultimately I I want us to impact our community and the culture of of Jacksonville, and I believe that God's doing that uh, here, and I think we're going to embody that more and more this coming year here in 2014, Uh, and I think, again, I think this is something that Jesus models for us. We see Jesus draw a crowd like nobody else. I mean, there was paparazzi before there was a paparazzi that Jesus could really draw a crowd. We see so many times where he feeds and ministers to to thousands at a time. Um, and I think in our generation, in kind of our mega church environments, in our Billy Graham crusades, uh, of our mega things, I, I think we think that everything looks like that and we forget that really so many times in Scripture Jesus stops in the middle of a crowd and he connects with one person. And maybe you just need to hear that this morning, that, that Jesus cares about you. He does. And he's interested in you and your story and your healing, and your wholeness. Uh, and, And though our crowds get bigger, and though we may be in a large environment, Jesus had this incredible, I believe, skill and discipline to invest in an individual and make a real difference in somebody's life. Um, And so I think that Jesus is going to give us a pattern of that. He connects with all kinds of people. He stops, he he kind of goes out of his way to minister to a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day uh, that had a bit of a reputation and Jesus stops and kind of makes it a point to connect with her even when it wasn't culturally safe. We see uh, when, when Jesus spits in a guy's eyes with dirt uh, and, and heals a, a blind man, we see where a guy that was kind of laying lame, lame and, and couldn't walk for a long, long time, most of his entire life, couldn't walk, nobody paid him any attention, and Jesus stopped when no one else would, and he said, man, do you want to be healed? Like, do you want to walk? And we see Jesus constantly the people that everybody else was passing by Jesus stopping the the people that nobody else was paying any attention to Jesus stops I think if we 're really going to understand how to make a true difference we 've got to understand this discipline of stopping and listening and seeing what god 's doing in this very moment and so we 're going to dive into um, uh, mark chapter five here in in just a moment, but um, i don 't know about you but personally I don't see a ton of uh, mute people on a regular basis. I don't do like um, sign language, so I'm not usually in those environments. Um, so I, I don't run into those people. You may uh, on more occasions than me. And, and I don't know about you. On occasion, I, I run into someone who's lame or, or, or handicapped and not able to walk. But in my regular path, I'm not like flooded with those, and, and I'm not flooded with people who are blind in my daily commute, my daily walk. I don't know about you. You may, you may have that, I, I don't run into those people all the time. I know they're here, um, and I love them. I just don't see them all the time, but what I am constantly confronted with It's people who are blinded to the truth and people who uh, God's given them a story and an incredible ministry, but they have no voice because they haven't received freedom and healing yet. I'm I'm surrounded. I cannot go anywhere without just sensing people and and talking to people who they have the ability to get out of bed in the morning, but they just don't have a purpose to get out of bed in the morning. I believe that if you're in that room, in this room, and you have any of those kind of things about your life, I believe that God's going to really look them straight in the eye and and bring life and freedom to them. And so we're going to go to Mark chapter 5 and really find just a really, really amazing story of wholeness and healing and freedom. So let's go to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to pick up at verse 24. But let me catch you up with what's happening for the past three verses. Um, first there 's this guy named Jay Iris and it was very common in this culture for uh, people 's kids like young kids that were early teens or younger for kids to not survive past that time it was it was just a pretty common thing it was pretty high um, infant and like child you know um, you know mortality rate or fatality rate so uh, it, it was just a very common thing and so uh, this guy comes and he just he falls at jesus's feet and he 's like Man, my daughter is literally about to die. If you don't come, like she's gonna die. That's it. And um, and and Jesus says, you know, he he said, "Will you come?" And and Jesus is in the midst of a crowd, and he says, "Yeah, I'll I'll come." And and so he begins to walk. And again, he's in a crowd. And so to do this, he's got to cross a lake. And that's where we're gonna pick up here in verse twenty-four. Is they're on the on this journey to 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 raise this this um, this daughter who actually dies on the journey there. I'll just spoiler alert, this isn't our main text, but a little later find out that Jesus actually raises this girl from the dead, and they said that she was dying, and Jesus like, she's only sleeping. Boop! It's pretty awesome. Um, Verse 24, uh, we're going to pick up. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Again, this gives you this whole kind of picture of the paparazzi before they ever existed. Um, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, can just all the ladies in the house say, Ouch. Ouch. Rough stuff. I'm sorry. Like, just imagine your misery uh, on that time of the month, like just going for 12 years on end. Um, and all the guys in the house say, Ouch. What I mean, I'm not making it up. I mean, it's Scripture. Was that too graphic for you? Like, Scripture is extremely graphic sometimes. She had this, she was subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and then spent all she had, Yet yeah, instead of getting better, she grew worse. This was also something that was very common in this time. For someone under the care of doctors to not get better but get worse, you know, you know, a long time ago, even not that long ago, you know, when, a doc- when someone got shot with a bullet, which was not in this time, but, you know, more recently, doctors would just stick their hand in there. They didn't have hand sanitizer that's come out in the past 10 years or something, but th- they would just stick their hand in there. So, I mean, think about it, you know, 2,000 years ago, we're talking about like not great like super health practices and doctors. It was like, there wasn't like great med schools or anything that people go to now. And so it was very normal for people to be under the care of many doctors and, and get, get worse. And so go back to verse 26. What we find here is that this woman who's been bleeding for a long time, there's a lot of things I think you have to not read into the text, but you have to know culturally and, and, and understand the context of what's being said here. She, she had care of doctors. You didn't have care of doctors unless you were rich. Like, this lady had money, and usually women weren't rich unless they had um, a husband. Uh, Most times, they were treated as property and and really had uh, just down value of uh, slaves, basically, in this culture at this time. What I love about Scripture is it constantly raises the level um, of value on women and children, Jesus. If you look at his ministry, he's constantly just blessing women. He's constantly raising the value that everything of everyone else is kind of lowering culture. He's counterculture, uh, count, countercultural, and raising um, the, the the role of women and and, um, and their value. So she's obviously had a lot of money. She, she's possibly a, a widow um, is one thing we can possibly read in the text here. And she's been left with a lot of money. But here's the thing. She'd spent all she had. She, she, she had nothing left. She had went from one country club to nothing. Like her, her, her social club w- was now non-existent. And she had a condition of bleeding. And in this culture, culture it was extremely um, uh, purity-driven, and, and so there's a lot of purity laws, and if, if you had certain sicknesses or diseases, like you were ostracized from the community. Uh, when people were lame or sick or they had leprosy, which as a disease we don't see anymore, but um, it, it's something that, that was, you were just ostracized from the community. So this woman, she had to, to do all of these things to be clean, but she couldn't. She couldn't interact with people, so socially she's completely You know, her her, her class has been completely changed. Her her, her social circle is completely lost. And now, financially, she's lost everything, too. And physically, she's obviously getting worse. Verse 27. Something's going to change here. So when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She had just heard about Jesus. Like, someone told her about Jesus, first of all. Like, let's just break that down. Um... There may be someone that you run into on your, you know, basis, and they're just telling you about their problems. And, and maybe your only responsibility that day is just to tell them about Jesus. Because that may be the, the one thing that leads them to healing and freedom. She heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him. So, she, she, that means she probably didn't know about him. She, she didn't know about him t- before someone told him. That means she probably never met him before, just heard about his ministry so this is a guy she, she's never met before, and here she comes up, and she's like going to creep up. Again, there's purity laws, and there's also social laws that a woman does not touch a man in public. Like, so I, I want you to understand the amount of faith that this woman has, like, and like in their culture, like, laws had serious consequences. Like, when you broke a law, there were serious consequences. Like, I mean, we're, we're coming out of like, you know, Jewish tradition, like if your kid to you, you could stone them if you wanted. Like, I mean, this is the type of, you know, consequences in the culture that they had. And, and, you know, I don't think Jesus was, like, saying, you know, stone your kids or anything. But um, Jesus is obviously making a completely different statement as we look into this text. Um, so she came up behind him. She touched his cloak. I mean, she touched him. So, again, she's breaking all this cultural thing. So I think, think about just what she's going through socially and to kind of fight through a crowd you ever felt just completely overwhelmed in a crowd? I asked this before. Like We just feel completely overwhelmed and would be embarrassed to walk in front of a crowd like this or just a small group would be afraid to speak up. But here is this woman who has got really everything against her, every reason in the world to be ashamed and afraid of what the community would say culturally. She didn't have much. She'd been sick for a long time. She's already been ostracized from the community. And now... And now she's breaking through a crowd. So, verse twenty-eight. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Like just touch his clothes. Like again, I, I can't. Um, I want to imagine the conversation she had with someone, and then just kind of break down like how much faith she has to have in her life to be just breaking the cultural norms, the societal, the laws. I mean, she's breaking laws, like cultural laws, like serious things that have consequences here for faith in Jesus. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'm going to be healed. This is some serious faith that's at place here. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately it stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse thirty. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the the crowd and asked, "Who touched my clothes?" So this is—it's hard for me to imagine what Jesus was feeling at this point to feel power go out. It seems like some kind of superhero thing, but he he was, and he was—he was God in flesh. And and so I, I, I. Try to imagine that, but I think it's kind of funny what he says next. Like, who touched me? They're like, Jesus, you're in a crowd. A lot of people are kind of just pushing around you. It's kind of like Jesus. Everybody's touching you. The disciples are kind of like, come on, Jesus. Like, everybody's touching you. Verse 31. Um, the disciples are like, you see the people crowding against you. His disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me. Verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. There's something about the discipline here and something he felt at this moment in which, in which to stop in the middle of the crowd and ask, like, someone like, just took a step of faith. Someone just, something just happened. I don't know what he was really knowing and thinking at this point, but ultimately, I think he was making a statement to the crowd about who he came to reach and why he came, why he came to this earth. But he kept looking around. He was just, I just think of Jesus. Some of you guys hate awkward silence. I just think of this moment, like, the crowd stops. I'm just kind of picturing this all. The crowd stops, and Jesus like, who touched me? And, like, everybody's probably like, oh, my gosh. Like, somebody's about to die. <laughs> like, I saw him raise somebody. You can probably kill him, too. You know, I, I, there, I, I just kind of imagine, like, what every, I just imagine this awkward silence and Jesus just saying, all right, who, t- who touched me? I mean, he probably wasn't like, who touched me? You know, but he, he was... But I think it was a little bit different. In verse 33, we see the woman take an even greater step of faith as she confesses. Then the woman, she knew what had happened to her. She came and fell at his feet. And like anyone's going to believe her when she says, oh, I'm healed. You know, it's okay. I'm pure. And even if that was true, you know, for the crowd, you still have to go through these purity kind of rituals in, in order to be made clean and accepted back into society. And even still then, she's broke Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Not excitement that she's healed, but fear. Like, she's afraid of what's about to happen to her. Like, she's busted through this crowd. She's breaking societal and cultural norms in order to touch Jesus, and now she's still scared. She's got healed, and she's still scared to death because that doesn't doesn't quite do it until socially and culturally we're invited in back into the community. And he told it; she told him the whole truth. You see, in, in this culture, if we were like equal in class, we would kiss on the lips—guys, guys; girls, girls. So it wasn't a homosexual thing; it was just, you know, how they greeted one another in their culture. You, you may experience that more uh, in Europe still and in, in the Middle East at times. So, um, but here. We see the complete opposite. When 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 someone was you know just a little bit of a different class, you'd kiss them on the cheek. But when there was kind of large kind of you know variance between societal um, classes, you'd fall on your face in front of them. And and she comes humbly to Jesus. I would put it like that. She comes humbly to Jesus, face down, just like the man did that had his daughter. She was dying. She falls at his feet and she tells him the whole truth. There's something powerful about this confession here in front of everyone that I think is just as much of a step of faith as her breaking through the crowd to touch him. I think there's something huge about her confession that, like, I'm the one that has enough faith that what Jesus just did was real. Because we're going to begin to talk about healing and freedom here in just a second. Um, And and some of us, we've been healed, we've been set free in in, in some way, shape, or form, whatever God's done us, but we have been unwilling to confess it, and and therefore, things haven't changed in in our community, things haven't changed in in our life, I think, because we're not really confessing it, we're not really, that that actually happened, Jesus actually did that in my life, verse 34, we'll wrap up it, and then we're going to move on, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you, he calls her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from suffering. The word daughter, it it speaks of inviting into a family in which she had been ostracized because of her physical condition, because of the financial condition she found herself in. And really socially, she had been ostracized. And Jesus, with really one word, in the midst of a crowd, he stops and he tells this woman, Daughter. Because of her faith, because of your faith, it has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from suffering. There's something about this idea of peace in the Jewish understanding, which is wholeness. It's not it's not just like groovy, man, like peace. It's it's deep into their complete shalom, wholeness. I, I've taught on this before during, um, during Christmas season, Advent season. I, I taught on this. Shalom it is a full wholeness of, of peace with your family and your relationships, with your finances and wholeness and, and completeness in, uh, in, in your, your finances, again, in your work, in, in your physical body. It's speaking to a, a whole thing. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And a, a lot of us, as we begin to talk about healing, a lot of us begin to move and think uh, about physical healing because that's obviously what's playing here. There's a lot more healing that God is interested in than physical healing, though I believe he is here for physical healing. I, I, I do believe that he does that. I've seen that. I've experienced it and seen it in my own life. There was a time my mouth was filled with ulcers for days. It was actually the week I met my wife. I had an allergic reaction, and, and I'd, I'd taken medicine um, the, the couple of days, and Nothing was happening. I mean, it, I'd gone on days, and I couldn't speak a word. My mouth was filled with ulcers. I can't tell you. If you have one ulcer, you know how annoying it is? My mouth was filled with ulcers where I could not speak. Um, and I tried medicine that first day, and I think the second day I might have taken it in the morning. And we're like a, a day and a half, two days later. So medicine wears off in like you know six hours, something like that, uh, six to 12 hours. I don't know what it was at the time. But I, I'm, I'm days out from that, um, from the last time I've taken medicine, and I couldn't handle it anymore. I was beginning to have like some really like social like anxiety, and the pain had just ramped up. I would had a uh, a serious reaction to um, sulfur. Um, I drank sulfur water and just blew my mouth up, and um, and I just I got serious with God. And I said, I I need you to heal me. Uh, I just need, and I don't know, I guess I was asking it, but I don't know that I was desperate enough to be honest in my asking. I wasn't, I had a real connection with God at that time, I feel like, and, and just spiritually, and what he was doing in my life, and, and I, literally within a half hour, my the sores were leaving my mouth from this moment I had with God. Within a half hour, the sores were leaving my mouth, and it was just, it, was blowing, it just blew my mind, so I've seen him do that, but a lot of us, as we begin to talk about this type of healing, or any healing in our life, we're like, yeah, but what What about when God doesn't heal? Does that mean I didn't have enough faith? And we begin to have so many questions about what this looks like. And again, if you're not in an anchor group, I encourage you to, because we're going to be diving into that more. The questions are going to lead us into how do we respond to those things in our anchor groups this week. But honestly, I, I think we, we've got a, God's ways and His thoughts and His sovereignty is far above mine, and so I can't explain all that. But here's what I do, do know. Through Scripture, Sometimes Jesus says it was your faith that healed you. Sometimes it it was the faith of your friends healed you. Sometimes faith is not even mentioned and Jesus just heals. But it's the times he doesn't that hurt us the most. And, And so, again, do we have answers for those things? Frankly, we don't. Frankly, we don't. But here's what I do know is we see pattern after pattern that God does respond to faith I can't understand the ways of God i can't and some of us say well how does that happen is there some formula and there's not formula but God does respond to faith and we see it here your faith has healed you go in peace and be freed from your suffering and some of us in this room we may have we may be in that place financially where where we've spent all we had in financially We're broke as a joke right now. We're as broke as we can be, and and, and we need God to to intervene. We need wholeness financially. We need peace. We need shalom financially. Some of us, it it may be socially. You've felt ostracized your entire life, whether you think it's because of the way you looked or because of the the, the amount of money your family made or or because of the way you talk or, or any other thing a disease or a condition and a speech impediment you name it wh- whatever it might it, whatever it might be God's interested in restoration and wholeness socially for us i believe if you're struggling physically if there's something that's been ongoing in your life i believe that God can meet us i believe that he can heal us and bring wholeness and i think that's what we, exactly what we see him proving himself in this he leaves on from here um and, and raises the, the daughter, as I said before. So what I'd like to do for the next few moments is just break down really how we can begin to make a difference because I I think so many of us, I think we live our lives and we're wondering how, how I think all of us would say, I want to make a difference in this world. I want to make an impact in this world. But how, in fact, do we do that, okay? And so I want to walk through a couple of things, uh, and I pray that God will speak through this as well uh, first, how to make a difference just in, in one. I think it's just having that discipline. But I think it's through connecting to your own brokenness and healing. I, I, I think God loves, it, is, it has developed a story in you, a masterpiece, if you will. Out of the brokenness of the world, we sing a song that uh, you make all things work together for my good. We sing that song. And I, I believe it's out of those ashes, out of that brokenness, that healing, happens and God can really do amazing things so I think we first got to connect to our own brokenness I remember sitting in a class um, when I was in college it was counseling class and I don't even remember what we were talking about but I remember falling to pieces in the back of that room I don't even know what was being said or taught on but I remember something struck me and my heart just broke And there was things from my past, from my family, um, from things that happened to me uh, through my schooling years that I just broke and just kind of became a little baby in the back of this class. And I was just trying to hide my tears in front of everybody, but it was in that moment that God spoke to me and I was able to connect to a real piece of my brokenness that I still needed healing for. I think if we're really going to make a difference in people, we've got to get connected to the places of brokenness, and really know that God can make them whole, just like he did for this woman. And I think we've got to know that Jesus is connected to our brokenness, connected in our brokenness. One of my favorite texts, and a lot of people, if you say, hey, what's your favorite scripture? I think a lot of people joke and say, Jesus wept, you know, just because it's like the shortest verse. It's like the only one they can remember. Um, for me, it's, it's literally one of my favorite verses, at that moment, Jesus was crying over a friend that had died, <laughs> and come to find out, he would actually raise him de- from the dead here a few minutes later, but he was fully human, too. He's fully God. We've seen that in, in Mark 5. He's fully human, too, and I think as the psalmist said it great, um, that God is close to the brokenhearted. God is close to the brokenhearted. We're going to take communion together. The, um, we're going to come to the table. 1 Corinthians talks about that he was broken for us. I, 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 he, he is connected to our brokenness. So if you feel broken in any part of your heart or your body, know that God is close to the brokenhearted. Know that, that Jesus, I, I believe, experienced a complete wealth of emotions on this earth. Sorrow and joy with friends and through Loneliness. I think he experiences what we do. I think secondly, we've got to know that the Holy Spirit is a comforter, that we are never alone. Though you may feel ostracized. Though you may feel all alone because of whatever it is in your life that you feel like has isolated you or what people have done to you. Know that you're never alone alone. The Holy Spirit, the the, the text, the Greek is actually a paraclete, one that comes alongside. He's here with you. You are never alone. Holy Spirit is comfort. And and then lastly, I think we've got to know, not, not only is Jesus connected to our brokenness, God's close to the brokenhearted. Holy Spirit's with us, but God desires to make you whole. He desires to make you whole. We looked, whole. We looked at, at Ephesians 4 a couple of weeks ago. That said God wants us to be equipped for every good work and every good service so that we can live up to the full pattern of Jesus, the fullness of Christ. One of the texts that I remember reading a long, like 10 years ago, that it kind of blew my mind because of one of, a, uh, one of the translations I was looking at, it's Jesus talking in Matthew 5, and he says, Be perfect. For I'm perfect. And I, I read that and I'm like, what, Jesus? Like, you know I'm not perfect. Like, I've got a whole list of why I'm not perfect. And, and here Jesus is saying, be perfect, for I'm perfect. So I'm like, I can't handle that, dude. Like, I, I need to, like, I, I need to, like, look up what this means. Because maybe this trans- so I started looking at other translations and began to look at the Greek root of that word. And it means complete. It means whole. It, it means basically shalom in the, in the Greek. It, it means wholeness. He's saying, be whole, be complete, because I'm whole. Be healed, because I'm healed. You have to know that God wants to make you whole. And the first step is connecting to our own brokenness, our own healing. God wants to make us whole. And then I think that's our vessel in to make a real difference in one person's life is to connect through that brokenness. I think the first thing is where we started. It's stopping and listening in the midst of a crowd, having discipline. Though there's cubicles all around your office, those are, there's so much noise everywhere we go. Though Whether you're, you're sweeping at home, you're cooking, you're working in the yard, whatever it is, be willing to just stop and Listen. To know that the story, the masterpiece that God's been making in you, is not for naught, but it's for a reason. And if we can stop and listen, He's gonna give us a voice to make a real difference. If so you gotta slow down and listen and be real, like be honest. Authenticity is attractive. It, it, it's people are attracted to people that say, I don't know. People are, are attracted to, to, to when we say, hey, look, man, I really messed up here. That honesty. Paul said it best. He said, I'll boast in my weakness. I'll boast in my weakness. It's, that's one of those other phrases, like be perfect, that I'm like, okay, I gotta break that down for a second. I'll boast in my weakness, he said, because it's through Christ's strength that I'm made strong, that he's glorified. When I'm weak, he's strong. His grace is sufficient as you begin to share your story as God makes us whole, we stop and listen I really believe that we're going to be challenged to ask ourselves do I really believe if his grace is is sufficient am I really willing to be honest and know that healing is an ongoing process it happens in a moment but it keeps going there, there was some mesh she had to work through after she got healed. We don't see that part of the story. I think we see her authenticity. I think we're like her desperation breaking through the crowd. I think, who's, who, who touched me? It was, it was me. I touched you. We see her authenticity. But I, I think we can forget. We see the immediate thing, but, but what after that? People were probably amazed, but there were still some things to work out. She was still broke. People have been looking at her for 12 years in one way, and now we've all got to look at it differently. Healing is ongoing, and God wants to make us whole. So you may be in this place at any, so many different places in this room of brokenness and healing that God wants to be in. But no, in that God's going to make you not only, he's going to make you a better person, he really will. It's not, it's not always easy. He wants to make you whole. He wants us to be complete because he is complete. And as we do that, know that we can make an incredible impact on the lives of others. That God is with us. He's with us. You're not alone.